Made in the trade, the man without fear. I'm here once again with Mr. Patrick Hawkins. Hey there, folks. How are you today? And we're discussing Daredevil, the man without fear. Written by Mr. Frank Miller and drawn by John Romita Jr. Uh, Frank Miller. Back when that meant something. Yes, it would still mean something. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, uh, Frank Miller, um, if you've heard the name before, it is likely because of his association with Batman, uh, particularly Batman The Dark Knight Returns. But you may not know that Frank Miller got his start with this character, Daredevil. talk a little bit about the history of Daredevil. Um, ever since like, the early 70s, it had kind of floundered. Um, its last really big, uh, considered critically good run was uh, with Gene Colan um, doing the art. And he had a great run. Um, then, of course, he moved on to other 70s projects. And then Daredevil was just one of those books that was just kind of there. And nobody was talking about it. Nobody was really interested in it. And uh, this young kid, Frank Miller, who had just gotten in as a penciler, um, was just about to get his first regular stint. And he drew about, uh, he was on the book as an artist for about six issues. And then he asked, hey, can I write as well? Mm-hmm. And uh, this this concept was still relatively new. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't unheard of per se, but uh, before that, you had had writers that were also the editors of the books as well, too. Uh-huh. So this was late seventies, early eighties Marvel. Um, this was right before Jim Shooter had gotten on board as editor in chief. Might have been under his his tenure. Uh, so. Dennis O'Neill was around this time. Was Dennis O'Neill, I believe, was yes, he was back at he was back at Marvel. I believe he was the editor of mm-hmm. uh, Daryl at the time, mm-hmm. and so they were just like, "Well, why not let the kid go ahead and do it?" Mm-hmm. And um, it just took off like a shot. Right. Uh, it was a became a critical darling among the direct market and remember too this is the early 80s right. specialty direct market was so few and far between mm-hmm. um this was not like it's now not like it's the 90s not even like in the late 80s a uh, typical person who was buying a comic book was amongst magazine racks at your yes, grocery this store was, this was still during the spinner rack newsstands yeah this was the spinner rack years yeah and um and he was miller was basically writing him for what you could call a uh, young adult sub adult mm-hmm. um, tackling some extremely adult themes where this is in 1982 they had if you looked at the other books Marvel was publishing like Avengers like in 1982 Avengers had Scott Lang Ant-Man writing on Hawkeye's arrowhead so that's kind of the storytelling they're doing outside of Daredevil whereas Frank Miller comes along and he's like I'm going like you're watching a 1970s noir detective movie he, he he crimed it up severely he moved he, he told crime stories very much uh influenced by him being a, a i won't say a native new yorker but a, a resident new yorker mm-hmm. um it was around that time that he was actually mugged oh yeah he was actually mugged uh in new york and i think that kind of of stuck with him and it's been argued that uh, that kind of affected 
his work on Daredevil and later on uh, Batman. Mm-hmm. But he he decided that he was going to try to instead of the superhero-y New York, mm-hmm. he wanted to really bring uh, a point of view to comics about New York at the ground level. And he was um, actually living in Hell's Kitchen? Like, I'm not sure if he was living in Hell's Kitchen. I know he was definitely a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. And that was well when Hell's Kitchen was Hell's Kitchen. Right. That yeah, was... the, it's not the Disneyfied Broadway area. No, it really it was yeah. just a, a scummy, sleazy place. Again, this is New York. This was you had you had drug dealers on the corner. You had hookers across the street. You mm-hmm. had, had, had sex shops and porno shops and just all kinds of just all that wackadoodle stuff that you kind of associate with the seventies. And that was all still going on mm-hmm. at the time. New York was filthy it was grimy this is before even ed Koch had come on as mayor and it was looked upon as corrupt from top to bottom and nobody cared everybody just sort of accepted it right and again i think it was that, inevitable and that was that was the perspective that it, uh, miller decided to take with daredevil he was gonna pull him away from a superhero and make him a ground level vigilante, mm-hmm. but not severing all ties. There were moments where there was like super crime and there would be an occasional super villain or something that effect. But again, very grounded, very perspective of somebody, you know, like looking from the outside and not so much the superhero point of view. And, um, and then of course he is also Miller's biggest influence was he had one of the first guys who discovered uh, anime and manga. Actually, more like manga, really. Anime hadn't quite been ported over the United States yet because VHS and Betamax bootlegging hasn't really carried over there yet. Mm. But some of the specialty import shops in New York and nationally, uh, American cartoonists were starting to discover uh, Japanese manga. Um, the Lone Wolf and Cub series, obviously a huge influence on him. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that from his staging and his fight scenes. And it took off from there. So some early on, I remember in the 80s, people said, yeah, yeah, Frank Miller is he's totally obsessed with like, like Chopsaki Kung Fu movies. And like, he really wasn't. Later mm. on, you found out that, no, 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 he was interested by Kizuro Okomi and all these other crazy, you know, and, and actually Akira had just started gotten published around that time, too. Okay. So, this is the manga Akira. The manga it had that, not yet been animated. No, yeah. Interesting. So it, with all this Japanese influence, you eventually have him create the character Elektra in that early 1980s run. Yeah, the character Elektra, he, he brought in all this pseudo-oriental mysticism mm-hmm. um and he also did a little bit of uh retconning he um he established the the precept that daredevil had been trained by stick that yeah. had never been gone into before right. uh when his powers got so hyper they couldn't figure it out it's like i've got to find stick the man who taught me how to use my abilities mm-hmm. um introduced stick and yeah introduced electra who Obviously, that Miller had a great soft spot for. But the nice thing about Electra too, was that it was his own little finite story of redemption or failure of redemption. And and again, too, lots and lots of the crazy mysticism, lots of in the 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 high, the hand, I believe, had been established at that time in Marvel continuity. OK, I could be wrong, but uh, he really made the hand fearsome they weren't just ninjas. They were Lovecraftian black magic evil ninjas mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't mean just oh yes we do fill our contracts these are the malicious nihilistic they worship dark and elder gods really had crazy asian voodoo and they were they were scary yeah they were legitimately scary and so you had all this going on and then you also had the his his um 
I won't say revamping, but again, he took the kingpin and he made the kingpin exactly what the kingpin always was, Mm -hmm. but just not from a perspective of a superhero looking down, but from like someone at the ground level looking up. And He's more grounded in reality. Someone who's grounded in reality. If, if someone in New York City actually had organized crime to the effect that Marvel depicted him as, yes. what would the Kingpin do? And so Frank exactly. Miller portrayed him as doing such. So in that original run, you've established Elektra. You've established that they've had a relationship in the past. And then years later, he gets even more famous as a result of Dark Knight Returns associated with Batman. Um, the, the, the Batman, uh, Tim Burton movie hits years yeah. later and after then, that. Yeah. Uh, Dark Knight Returns basically kind of lit the fuse for external media to really look at American comics and be all like, Hey, comics aren't just for kids anymore. Mm-hmm. Huh? And Frank Miller was at the forefront of that. Now the accolades seem to get thrown at Watchmen and Alan Moore, but mm-hmm. Frank Miller was the one who was introduced interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big, big, big deal. Right. I mean, in that same article, they would talk about Cerebus, of course, and Watchmen. But Frank Miller was the torchbearer yeah. for crossing over and making it a thing. And yes, Hollywood began to sort of take notice. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, the, the Burton movie, which for all its flaws, I always say, I may not like it, but if it hadn't been for that Burton movie... We wouldn't have gotten the Avengers movies today. Probably you not. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, was, it was an evolution and it was an improvement. It still wasn't great, but it was an improvement. Mm-hmm. So naturally, of course, Hollywood being real quick, same thing with, uh, you know, Seattle during the, the grunge music years, you know, all of a sudden like, hey, there's a new resource here. And Miller being the infant Tareeb at least as far as Hollywood's concerned, about, hey, this is crazy comic book guy. And they went knocking on the doors, and they did the same thing with Alan Moore and Howard Chaikin and all these guys that had done some great stuff in the 80s, and all of a sudden, hey, we're from Hollywood, and we want you to make money for us. Mm-hmm. And um, some guys took the money. Some guys stayed. Some guys didn't. Howard Chaikin said, I'll take the money, sure. Ended up working on Flash for its whole season. Uh, Alan mm-hmm. Moore wrote one screenplay and said, to hell with this, which still has not been produced. Oh, They did do an adaptation of it. It's called Fashion Beast. And mm-hmm. Frank... Miller, though, he did dabble in it. Well, he did Robocop 2. He did Robocop 2, which I think we can all agree is was not great. Right. And I think Frank... Honestly, I, I think his, his best thing is still within comics because he could set mm-hmm. the pacing. Mm-hmm. Frank, Robocop 2, I think, suffered from being more of a satire. And mm-hmm. people have argued, well, Dark Knight Returns is a satire. and mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll argue back with him on that, but... Uh, he went to Hollywood, and it didn't really quite work out. Yeah. So he went back into comics. Now, this is where things get really interesting. This is now the early 90s. There are the pre-rumblings of creator rights and the pre-rumblings, too, of the breakaway that would have been the Image Comics guys. Mm-hmm. And then basically creating comics as we know in the 90s. So it hadn't quite happened yet, but it was going to. There was mm-hmm. something in the air, and Frank Miller basically, I guess he sort of decided... He was going to go back and do one more Daredevil project. He mm. originally wanted he he uh, John Romita Jr. That's where he comes on in. He had a slow burn in comics, but he did a, he was a great evolution, and he had a nice natural progression. Yeah. So by around that time, he had really hitched hit his apex, and he was doing solid work on X Men. And so Frank Miller apparently just called him up and said, "Hey, let's, I'd love to work with you in the project, and mm-hmm. I'd love to work with you too." Okay, let's do a Wolverine graphic novel and just make a whole 
you know, ton of money, mm-hmm. which they easily would have done. Right. Um, and then apparently they were like, well, there's like four or five Wolverine projects going on at the time. They were like, damn, well, what do we do? And then Frank was like, well, I got this treatment for a Daredevil movie I was working on. Mm-hmm. Daredevil adaptation. So they took this film treatment and that's what they did. That's what right. ended up being this was basically a Daredevil year one. A Although that's a bit of a misnomer. Um, basically, it's it's a it's a really re- what we got here in is a really neat. It's not so much a retelling of his origin, but really it's a fusion of the origin. It mm-hmm. takes the original Bill Everett Stanley origin and then gives it a nice, it layers on everything that Frank had added during his run. Mm-hmm. But we had never seen that. Yeah. We had never actually seen Stick actually training a young uh, Frank McBurdick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and this is what makes this such a, a wonderful trade because everything is meshes in so clean. It's not a retcon, it's a ret fusion. Mm-hmm. And nothing is denigrated, nothing is, is overturned. Everything right. kind of works together very seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this such a treat. And that's also what paves the pathway for the Netflix series. So issue one, to summarize real quickly, Matt Murdock's childhood is depicted in issue one. There's the accident in which Matt loses his sight. There's the meeting initially of his master stick. His father becomes muscle for the quote unquote fixer. And Jack Murdock, his father, is killed. This is also... Batlin' Jack Murdock. Batlin' Jack. <laughs> the old Batlin' Jack. Uh, this is... Um, so this is where I first learned how to understand Daredevil's powers. I, I didn't see it ever portrayed as such as you see it in this story beforehand. Like, at least not to this detail. Um, before this, I was always read in the comic books, oh, he's got this radar sense, radar sense. Yeah. And like, what does that mean? Well, I think of looking at a radar depiction, and that's how he sees everything is through quote-unquote radar so it's this unnatural sense but in this frank miller uh, really does a good job of portraying it through natural senses yes so it's through your hearing your sight your tactile sense are so heightened that you can feel the air around you and everything that's between you and that air uh on the other side of the room you you have you are essentially if you're daredevil of course can feel everything at all times in your immediate vicinity and that's how his his senses are portrayed yeah because it's a uh, it's also too when he first gets him the first gets turned on when he's blinded it imparts all the confusion because he's got all this all of his senses have been cranked up to 20 mm-hmm. for the first time and we're so used to daredevil again just his little radar sense and that's it and maybe maybe when the plot needs it like oh he'll mention oh the woman's perfume that he can smell mm-hmm. and this is yeah like like frank really in the narrative just heaps it all on about how he can smell eggs on people's breath mm-hmm. and how the sheets he's in in the hospital feel like sandpaper and right. just how everything it is and everything is so loud and everything is is just he can hear everything and it's just he's almost going insane mm-hmm. with it out of fear right out of absolute fear um and yeah and then, then it, it calms down and then yeah then stick sort of approaches him and he we get that that unflinching sort of uh cold fish that stick is and the insinuation that whatever abilities matt has and later on frank miller would say this uh in his earlier run too uh, stick told him it's like the radiation didn't give you the power. It just unlocked the power everybody has. Mm-hmm. 
you know, again, that... It's something that leaves the character more accessible to the regular reader. Yeah. You know, whereas in the early 1960s when this character and characters like Spider-Man are just endowed with radioactive powers and then it's like, well, you can aspire to be that character, but of course there's this fictional divide of something that just doesn't exist and gives them powers that don't exist. So in this description, Stick is like, no, there are blind people who in fact rely more heavily on their their other senses to get around. Yeah. So yeah, this, and his it's crank really interesting. Ten, the 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 early, the early stages of the mysticism. I mean, teaching him how to use a bow and arrow and mm-hmm. all this this crazy early stuff, teaching him how to fight and then he doesn't know why or how. And a lot of this early stuff too also goes in about how you know, again, Matt's early childhood about how his his dad's got a good heart but uh, you know he's he drinks mm-hmm. and the one time Matt stands up for himself and, and fights back against the bullies his dad freaks out because he's just like yeah you and know, I want you to be a doctor or mm-hmm. something smart. some white collar professional exactly not to be like me exactly who has to rely on beating people up exactly and that and that sets the early seeds too for the what is the thing about Matt is that again people always say that his Catholicism factors in very heavily in the character and I, I think that's a bit of a, a misnomer it's really his his adulation of the law mm-hmm. you know at the core there's two things about Matt Murdock he stands up against the bullies yeah. which is a little different from Batman Batman is all about the punishment of crime hmm. um, and this is my own headcanon here and okay. he's all about the punishing of crime and those who commit crime uh Matt is all about standing up and protecting the people against the bullies. Right. Um, which puts him a little more on sort of the good guy path. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing about like laws are the one thing that will save humanity. Mm-hmm. That's why the law is so important to him. And that I think too is creates the greatest dichotomy is that the one thing that he worships above all else, every time he puts on the costume, he more or less flouts. Hmm. You know, he has to go and be a costume vigilante and do things against the law in order to preserve Mm -hmm. the system of the law that he believes in. I I think he has this sense of justice. Yes. So so the the justice is what is the in-between go-to. So on, on one side, he's the lawyer who can only work within the legal system. On the other side, he wears the mask, which... If you if you got people getting away with murder, the only way to keep them in line, apprehend them, what have you, is to be masked and to enter into that yep. horrible, horrible, dark place, the underworld, so to speak. And that's the only way you can deal with them. I've always yeah, I, I've always thought. Again, use a Batman metaphor. I think Batman loves it when he puts on the mask and he kicks the crap out of out of muggers and thieves. Mm-hmm. I think every time Matt puts on uh, the Daredevil mask, whatever form it takes, I think he regrets it. Hmm. He wishes he. I think he wishes there was another way. Mm-hmm. He wishes there was a way to do this legally. He wishes there was a way to, that that the world could be a place where he didn't have to do this. Where the worst thing people did was like maybe cheat on their taxes or jaywalk. Even or that. Whatnot. Just the fact of the matter is that, that he's got to he's got to use 
the other guy's methods to to correct things mm-hmm. but he again he believes in the system because he believes the system is right but the, the system obviously has been gamed been mm-hmm. gamed by the corrupt it's, and it's obviously gamed by guys like the penguin uh, <laughs> by, <laughs> the by the kingpin yeah sorry too and too much back and forth mm-hmm. that's what also sets up the interesting parallel and the showdown uh, or the adversarial relationship between kingpin and daredevil mm-hmm. um which we saw we see the rise of kingpin in the second one but this boils back to that same thing as before. Kingpin was always, he was like the gangster supervillain. Yeah. You know, up until when Frank Miller, you know, like, like took him over. Um, yeah, he was one step away from, I'm the Kingpin and I'm going to rule the world from my secret island base with mm-hmm. my army of robot duplicates of myself. <laughs> See, Meh, you know. I'm he, so strong, I can bear hug Spider-Man. Yes, and this is, in fact, it's all muscle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and <laughs> he was he was literally about one step away from being kind of a schmucko like that, you know? It's like, you know, with his, with his laser cane and his mm-hmm. smoking stick pin and all that mm-hmm. malarkey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Miller made him, made him legitimately scary, yeah. you know? It was, it Doing was, real live like real world crime mm-hmm. and just horrible malicious stuff all right on to issue two issue two matt gets vengeance upon his father's murderers there is the accidental death of a prostitute and matt and foggy are in college in a few flashbacks electra matt and foggy are in college electra is depicted as a borderline, psychotic, free spirit. Oh, so just a bit. pretty much focusing on uh, Matt's college years for the most part in this issue two. Yeah, um, we we definitely, first of all, we get we get to see him in Foggy Nelson. And um, I've always liked Foggy because mm-hmm. he, it'd be, easy to, it'd be easy to take Foggy and turn him into a real schlub. But I, I always thought that, <laughs> that Frank Miller, how he's had a soft spot for Foggy because... Mm. Foggy's one of the few comic characters, especially heralding from the Silver Age, mm-hmm. that has been remarkably constant the whole time. Right. He is He's he not is, just forgotten about like Happy Hogan and No, they haven't the tried others. to beef him up. I mean, I it's it's a small it's a minor miracle that one, he hasn't been killed off, mm-hmm. or two, he hasn't been given some kind of powers by now <laughs> and become right. a, a super powered or a super villain character. Or in they his could own have given right. him an affliction like something like that. There have well there have been moments recently there was he had a bout with cancer. Oh he did. Huh? Yeah. But 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 he he lived. Okay. He lived. He lied. Uh, but that has nothing to do with where we are here. But he's definitely. But he's yeah. definitely been. Um, he's been a good guy, mm-hmm. and and he's had moments of, of genuine courage. Um, yeah. But it's great too the way you know he and Matt are kind of both kind of a little out outcasty as it is. You know, Foggy's kind of a portly sort of oh golly gee, and and mm-hmm. Matt of course is the blind kid, um, the blind kid who also happens to be in really good shape. Mm-hmm. And the ladies seem to notice. Not yet, not that. Well, he's all intense and brooding. That's and true. The girls are like, "Oh wow, he's like, oh, he's blind, but he's all intense and wow, you know." Mm-hmm. And we all know girls like a novelty, right? Uh, so yeah, and then of course, and again, Matt hasn't totally given stuff up. Uh, you know, it's it's like he he in the middle of the night he leaves the bullies that are tormenting Foggy, okay, in, um, in the snow. Same way Flass uh, ended up in the snow um, 
in Batman Year One, but the principle is the same. You know, it's like Matt puts the fear of God uh, into the guy, mm-hmm. and then afterwards, oh hey, hey, Foggy, how's it going? Yeah, well, uh, cool, man. Uh, good to see it. You know, and <laughs> and again, and that's the whole thing about it. Uh, Matt hates the bullies, right? And he wants to stand up for it. And Foggy has no idea. He has no idea that that this happened. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, I guess he turned around. Maybe he's not such a bad guy as I thought. Right, right. And me and Matt. He's, he just studies the law. He does really good at it. But once in a while, he just puts on his, his togs and he just runs around leaping off of uh, mm-hmm. leaping off the, the building tops. Right. Some really nice, very well-drawn uh, John Romita uh, um, artwork scenes. You know, and again, this is how he kind of both exercises, how he kind of loosens up. And he's still, he's, he's, he's not Daredevil yet. You get the idea that just practicing law and being a lawyer is not going to be enough for him. Right. And then, of course, he meets his first encounter with uh, Elektra. Yes. Elektra is revisited in the third issue, where it's depicted that she's from a a rich family. Uh, She is a diplomat's daughter. She is confirmed in this third issue. She is definitely psychotic. Yes. And they have a scene where she lures five potential rapists to attack her in a dark alleyway. And winds up killing all of them. And then later on, her father is killed. Uh, they're at the uh, the burial. And a character who is a mob boss, basically, of the crime in New York is named Rigoletto. He has a little bit of a conscience. He's rebelling a little bit against his underlings who are pushing to go more towards things like child trafficking or children dealing drugs. And he gets usurped by his right-hand man, who in, happens to be Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. Dun, dun. He's murdered at the uh, end of this issue. And that's how the Kingpin becomes the Kingpin of crime that we all know and hate. The interesting thing about this is that, yeah, you get this this idea that, first of all, Matt finally meets somebody that he can he's completely enraptured by. With Electra. With Electra, mm-hmm. You get the idea that they have a, an incredibly, just, just, passionate you know mm-hmm. relationship just fueled by that and neither one of them knows they have the common bond of stick between the two of them right they had no clue at this point mm-hmm. um although i be- i believe theoretically i'm not i think electrum might not have encountered stick in his order at this point or well, they he may mentions have her he mentions her he because mentions her and kind of gave up stick, on her yeah because stick actually like like you know murdoch hasn't seen stick in years mm-hmm. but he wakes up he's above her room he's like yeah kid you stay away from her right we gave up on her years ago right and if she if you if she turns you mm-hmm. then i'll kill you myself right and then disappears again and yeah. he's like what the hell you show up out of nowhere and poof you know mm-hmm and again, it's it's very very stickish, and um, there's a great scene between Stick and Stone. Um, one of the other just uh, one panel, was, really, just one panel, but it's mm-hmm. a brilliant panel. Yeah, yeah. and you never you to this day we've never seen what Stone looks like. We've only seen him in ninja hoods, and we've only right. seen him from behind. And um, mm-hmm. his ninja power is as long as he can see an attack coming. He's he, invulnerable. He's invulnerable to it. Mm-hmm. Like as long as he if you hold a gun towards him and shoot him, <laughs> mm-hmm. he'll. It won't affect him. Right. It'll go right in his brain, but as long as he knows it's coming, he's okay. Bizarre. Which I think is hysterical. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, and they, they lament too. There have only been two adeps born in this time, and we may need them for the coming war. And Stick is like, no, they're both lost to us. Forget it. Mm. And again, too, is that thing between them and the hand, and in mm. their order, I don't think has ever been formally named. Uh, the Chaste Clan. I, I I had googled this. Oh, actually. Really? Yeah, Chaste as in virgin. Huh. Um, but the characters Stick, Stone, Daredevil, uh, Wing, Flame, Star. Like they're they're all associated with the chaste uh, clan in Marvel Comics, and yeah, I didn't know of it outside of that Wikipedia article that I had looked up, but uh, that's what they say: the chaste clan, not mentioned by name in this story. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure, but that that may have came later. After, Maybe after Frank, possibly. Uh, you know, he was very like you know, like I said, he when he killed off Electra, and then there was the graphic novel. He was kind of done, and mm-hmm. that that came out later. We we should probably tackle the graphic novels, Electra graphic novel sometime. Sure, because it's insane. Hmm. Uh yeah. Again, it's 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 great layering. It's really again when you go back, and we've we saw this classic point with with the Star Wars prequels. When you go back to the prequels, there's always a couple of points that just seem very ham fisted. Hmm. Um. Oh, uh, oh, I gotta, I gotta shoehorn in this. Oh, hey, everybody, here's Greedo as a kid. Like, who cares? Right. You know. But again, in this, the layering of the classic and a layering of this and a smooth storytelling, it just, it just works. Mm-hmm. It just really works. It just yeah. really delivers at home. And again, too, it's, it's, it's a lot of this also goes with with Ramita. And again, I'll, I'll say it again. He was this. I think was the peak of his game. John Romita Jr. Yes, John Romita Jr. I yeah. think uh, I think he really had hit his nadir in this one, mm-hmm. and uh, and again his style was just because he he could draw people differently, you know, mm-hmm. he, you know guys didn't all have the same mustaches, you know, right. and there were some scraggly, hairy, swarthy guys, mm-hmm. you know, and and guys are in the gym looked sweaty they really looked sweaty it wasn't yeah. just some guy drawn normal with a bead of sweat on his brow or something to that mm-hmm. effect you know it was a good earthiness and if we're talking about Electra he went balls out with drawing Electra there's yeah. no doubt about it that uh, Electra I think was his version of Electra in this was probably the sexiest portrayal of any woman I've ever seen in comics ever <laughs> so I you're really, a fan I would yeah, I would <laughs> I, normally, I don't go in for these sort of things, but I, I would genuinely say, um, just with her hair and her expressions, mm-hmm. and just like that, that look that she has, um, and it's not smarmy um, at all. I mean, it's it's she is pure lethality. She is pure. She is absolute dangerous sex. Mm-hmm. There's just no way about it, and she is she is a poison that Murdoch just can't help but drinking. Yeah. And then she just goes and ups and leaves him, and then he's kind of back to square one. But now he's got a law degree. And in issue four, we have the Kingpin's reign, and you see what Kingpin's capable of doing. He perpetuates child trafficking, which is just crazy to think of this in a comic book. Especially at that time, in 1993, because the comics code still existed. Right. Now, it's not like they graphically depict any of these horrible things you might, your mind might go to. But he still, it's discussed that this is going to happen, that, that children are kidnapped, traded, what have you. It's, it's strongly inferred yeah. that it's, 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 it's white slavery, child mm-hmm. pornography, yeah. um, really just, just all this just wicked, malicious stuff, and Kingpin just does not care. No. And that's what I love about Miller's Kingpin, 
is that he's not a snarling villain mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. If anything, he's scary because he's so apathetic. Right. He just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, in his earlier run, he made one really interesting line um, where he said, I have vowed never to turn down an opportunity for personal profit. Mm-hmm. And his attitude simply was, if there's money to be made, then he will do it. You know, And there, there is an audience, there is a market for children, so he will cater to them. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> that's absolutely there's, it. There's it's no so- delay. Because, yeah, it's yes or no. Is there profit? Yes, then done. Yes. There's no there's no delay of conscience. Mm-hmm. And even um, even when there's the screw ups, even when he orders the um, the deaths of some uh, lower level henchmen that screw mm-hmm. things up, he really doesn't care too much. But he tells you know he tells his his we'll say bullseye prototype one. This uh, is uh, Larks. His Larks. Name is. Yeah, yeah, Larks. Who's who is who is basically painted to be all right this is this guy's occupying the seat that that electra and daredevil or not electra and bullseye will eventually start to have it as like the the scary enforcer guy but there's that great bit too where he's just like "Mm, this has been an unsavory mess uh deal with it uh go ahead and make it loud you know, mm-hmm. not because he wants them to send him. He's just like, it's good to send a message out to keeps everything in line. You mm-hmm. know, again, not really not snarling, not emotional. The, everything yeah. is calculated. That's the thing. It's like you don't really get a sense that there's an emotional motivation in any of this. He just does it. Mm-hmm. He just does like these horrible things. Uh, so he orders. Well, but first of all, Matt Murdock meets this girl who she calls herself Mickey. Yes. Uh, I believe her name is Dominique because it's written in her hat. But uh, she, when they first encounter each other in the gym, she's actually trying to fend him off with a a slingshot, which I thought was very reminiscent of uh, Carrie Kelly's. Um, portrayal of Robin I, I think in Dark Knight Returns. I, yeah, I think that was a bit of a bit of a sly nod. And, mm-hmm. and at this point, Matt doesn't even live in New York anymore. He immediately got a job at a, a Boston law firm. Moved out of Boston. They he had been there. I guess it's inferred he maybe had been there for about a year or mm-hmm. maybe a year and a half. And uh, was had a bright future, but corporate law was boring the hell out of him. And his boss said, "You got to go back to New York and uh, do this deal." And Matt fights against it. Doesn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't want to go back to those old memories, but he does. And he starts falling in old habits. And uh, yeah, he goes to his dad's old gym, finds Mickey hiding in there, you know, a little lone runaway. And uh, he sort of takes a shine to her. Mm-hmm. And he also hooks up again with Foggy Nelson. Right. And that's a bit, it's an important thing, too, because Foggy is just like, yeah, well, you know, I'm working on this uh, small case here against these people. And hey, Matt, you know what? You are so good at this stuff. Think you make me a hand with this? Mm-hmm. And this ignites matt yeah it's like just one panel it's just them pulling an all-nighter and matt is just going through law books like you know foggy i think there's a precedent here we could probably use it's a stretch but in foggy's passed out Mm -hmm. he's just collapsed into it but this is the law practicing that matt murdoch always wanted to do Mm -hmm. and he discovers that this is the beginning of it and there's even inferences too that his law firm in boston is screaming at him to, to come on back to work right and um and yeah but he hasn't quite turned over yet he hasn't quite, he's not quite there yet, but then Mickey gets kidnapped. Kidnapped by Larks. Mm-hmm. Matt has to save her, and he finally... Well, not by Larks, by the, 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 the goons that just uh, needed, they needed, they needed her 
I guess they needed a, a girl about her age and with her color of hair. I believe. Oh, that's right. So okay, we, so we the initial a little blonde girl. It was an initial uh, a, a couple of junkies a that couple of owed junkies. the kingpin a bunch of money. Not that they don't owe a kind of money. They just worked. They they worked oh. for the guy that worked for the guy that worked for kingpin. Right. Remember, at this point, nobody knows they work for the kingpin. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they never say his name. Right. Which right. was carried over into the series. Mm-hmm. Um, the and TV again, series, it's it's yeah. the guy that they report to that he just sends them on out. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll get it done. And mm-hmm. then they're junkies, so they decide, hey, before we turn them over, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, like uh, get a ransom. They from wanted the to extort. They cut out yeah. the middleman essentially, mm-hmm. get the extortion from the parents themselves. Yeah. Then they'd make so much more money for Smack and. And whatever then bills they needed to becomes, pay. It becomes a very small mess. Mm-hmm. And Kingpin says, Larks, to just clean it up. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is absolutely against all my rules of yeah. efficiency and clarity and sends them to it. So then, and that's when Matt begins to get involved. And that's when Matt puts on the black suit and yeah. the head wrap that mm-hmm. uh, eventually became the, the costume for Netflix season one. Right. Now, in the original run... Uh, Frank Miller does depict Daredevil wearing a costume similar to this, only the bandana is red. Okay. That's almost the only difference between this and what was originally done back in 82, 83. Okay. But, first of all, I think it was all black in this 93 one because you said this was originally a pitch. Yes. For a movie. And Mm -hmm. he recognized the fact that Batman 89 was all black and... You know, got to refer to it, but Trial of the Incredible Hulk Daredevil was all black. Yeah. Um, so this character in 1993 was all black. And then, of course, in the Netflix show, he's all black. Yeah. But we do see something very similar to what we see here in the original run. It's very brief, but it is some of these flashbacks with Elektra mm-hmm. in those old um, and there's, issues. And there's even a little throwaway line, too, where in... There's a poster hanging up at the wall that shows that his father, you know, when he wasn't boxing, was also moonlighting as a professional wrestler mm-hmm. and was the devil. The devil. Mm-hmm. And his outfit was very reminiscent of what uh, Matt eventually, when he gets takes the superhero costume, has right. to do. Again, a little bit of the, the retrofitting, mm-hmm. but it works. Yeah. Um, the only the only thing that's, that's ditched from the original mythology is that the old yellow and kind of red outfit is kind of snipped away yeah there's one panel at the very end I, is he is it at the very yeah end? it's okay, like maybe he's it's flipping and you see him first on the building ledge with the yellow in mid flip he's evolving his okay. costume and then when he winds up in the final red that you see all right uh, but yeah, he, there is that brief acknowledgement that he does wear a yellow suit. Okay. But you know, yeah. no attempt to say why he chooses yeah. to wear a yellow mm-hmm. suit. And this, of course, this is where things get really, this, this, this storyline leads into the last issue and the last issue, of course, where things get really heated up. The final fifth issue is mostly action. Action sequences. And very it's, cinematic. Yes. This was, and again, in the early double lots. A lot of stuff was written very cinematically, and a lot of guys got a lot of, uh, very lauded for it. Uh, Bendis and Ellis, they, they got a lot, oh, everything's very cinematic, and this actually, I think, set it up a little ahead of that. Actually, mm-hmm. this, and, and of course, Watchmen was very cinematic, too, but, uh, yeah, this, this, this looks like a well-shot movie, mm-hmm. this feels like it as you read it, 
when I first read it the first time, there were moments that I slowed down. There are moments that I sped up. I mm-hmm. mean, it really it grabs you. Yeah. And again, it's this it's that perfect narr- perfect marriage between the direction and the words and the dialogue and the captions and um and it's just like you just you just want you just want to see him beat some ass. You have this final showdown with him and Larks, who it's like after you know, he's kicked all the asses. Yes. Of the guys. They they track uh, him down to the waterfront. A water series front. of ingenuity and and resourcefulness of him beating up all these tracks him down to the waterfront scene and you know frees most of the kids except larks of course runs away with you know uh, with one girl Mm -hmm. and um and then there's that that showdown yeah where larks has a gun daredevil is a stick yep and that's what it comes down to comes down to is is this 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 showdown of and again matt is all saying i don't want to kill you Mm mm-hmm let the girl go mm-hmm. and he is you know, Larks is incredulous about this he's like what are you talking about I've I've got a gun mm-hmm. you know and just fires once bing fires twice bing and then eventually the bullet bounces back and well and we'll just leave it at that I, mean, I don't want to do too much spoilers <laughs> but the fact of the matter is is that yeah Matt um, Matt saves the day mm-hmm. and Matt decides that his place is here in New York he really has that that thing of you know what? This is where I belong. Yeah. Because two things. One, he can run. He decide, he figures out that he can run around at night and do this stuff. Mm-hmm. This makes him feel half alive. And the other half is teaming up with Foggy and opening up that small law firm and standing up for the little guys, just like they talked about in college. Mm-hmm. And it's a little forgotten detail, but I love it too. How there's a little caption of like Matt's boss in Boston called him up to say he was fired, and then hung up in rage when Matt wouldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they then they flip the coin and decide whose name goes on first. And mm-hmm. there's even a little cameo by Stick at the end. Just yeah, in the diner. Almost there's that one moment where he's just like, you know, I'll, I'll, I might be back, kid, or I might not be, or whatever, or maybe you did all right. The closest thing Stick ever did to acknowledging him as good job, kid. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's a great bit. And then of course there's the. The trailing off with Kingpin, mm. which is Kingpin is considering what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The moment of the, you know, it was just like you know, you know, people will be, you know, this small, this small sliver of his operation has been compromised, and people will have to, you know, you know, people will have to be eliminated, to be silenced, and et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. this vigilante disturbs him, right? You know, and will eventually become the thorn that becomes an oak in his side. <laughs> And all of this, of course, lead us into the TV show. All right, let's talk about the Netflix TV series. Season one is all that we have at the time of recording. Uh, but man, what a what a season it was! Well, as a certainly was an improvement over the Affleck movie. Uh, yes, true. <laughs> and we. We could talk a little bit about uh, a little bit before that. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, because there was the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yes. We saw the 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 almost first uh, uh, version of of Daredevil. There the was an attempt. Action. There yes. was an attempt in the late seventies, early eighties to do it. Oh, was uh, it? Yeah, but it didn't really go off the ground. Okay. And Andy Warhol was peripherally involved, which tells you how doomed oh, that kind boy. of it. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah, the Child of the Incredible Hulk, which was literally very TV-ish. It was just mm-hmm. like, oh, um, an attorney who fights crime at night. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, I mean, there was only so much they were going to do. It wasn't like you had the modern-day martial arts experts and stuntmen that you had in a TV budget yeah. uh, available. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was the and earliest. And John Rhys Davies is John uh, Rhys Davies as, uh, as the Kingpin. Kingpin. You had a... a Okay, so here's the thing. They they portrayed the radar sense in the Trial of the Incredible Hulk as green monochromatic, you know, 1980s computer monitor screen, so to okay. speak. Uh, so everything was kind of like, to some degree, it was radar. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, typically, if you looked at a radar back then, it was a monochromatic green screen with the swooping, you know, going around in a radius pattern. But uh, that's how this was somewhat portrayed. Everything was kind of like dotted green dots mm-hmm. in in his world. And again, that didn't give me the sense that I get reading this book that we just read. So I, I still didn't quite get the radar sense until reading this. And then even more so in this series where they depict the quote unquote world on fire. Yeah. And you only really have one moment where you get to see the world through his senses mm-hmm. where you see the heat rising off of just about everything in his immediate vicinity. Yeah. Uh, which is still uh, an adequate portrayal because yes, of course he would feel the heat on everything that has heat, so to speak. So that's one way that he would sense what is around him through, yeah, through he, tactile sense. Yeah. As, as I can say, he, he feels the world. Mm-hmm. That's what he feel. He just, it, it was like he soaks it on in, he brushes it, the air across his skin, you know, there's something in the air. It's like he he smells it through his pores. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's this heavy heaviness to it. Um, to its credit, the Affleck. I did kind of like the way they handled the the radar sense in the yeah. Affleck movie. I thought that was, that was more one of the with the with um the the, the hearing. Yeah, it's and, very I, much and I I did think it was about because he had to make that echo thing mm-hmm. to get a pulse or whatever, where it's, right. it's supposed to be going on twenty four seven. And the the failure of the Affleck movie was two things. And they they took everything a little superficially, and as usual, they try to put in too much at the beginning. Yes, you know, in the minute Electra showed up, it stopped being a Daredevil movie and mm-hmm. just became a protracted commercial for a future Electra movie. Right, and that was kind of it. And they nothing against Jennifer Garner, but she was so incredibly totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, she is supposed to be Electra is very Greek. She mm-hmm. is very European. She is supposed to have that accent. She is supposed to have that look. Mm-hmm. And Garner was just the brown-haired, all-American girl. And and nice. Yes. Like Jennifer Garner kind of has a nice image. And I know she was in that show Alias, but even so, like she just kind of comes across as... Oh, that's a nice gal. She's polite. It's just that's not quite Electra. Her Electra was about two steps away from Alicia Silverstone's Batgirl. Yeah, you know, show uh-huh. me up, Uncle Alfred. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. who are you? I'm Batgirl. I I've got the costume on. Well, right. I guess you do. All right, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. fight crime. Uh, and and again, there's nothing there's nothing to it that gave her any sense of gravitas. Uh, you know, Electra, you definitely could tell in this and then in the original run that she was scary badass right she you get the idea that she might even be able to take down captain america mm. you know and uh, hold her own yeah and and she's like these that that sort of nth level uh of you know about as dangerous as you can be without actually having powers mm-hmm. um 
and yeah, and just and that's what it was. And then that, of course, that thank goodness though that brings us to now, um, right? And even then, the uh, that we almost didn't even have that. Um, Fox was crash programming um, a Daredevil movie. Um, I forget the guys who was was working on it, but he wanted to make a he wanted to make it very seventies Frank Miller. He wanted to make a throwback to the crime films of you know the seventies mm-hmm. French Connection, Seven Ups, yeah, uh, stuff like that. But they just couldn't get it together in time and so mm-hmm. the it lapsed back to marvel and mm. um and i'm sure kevin fiji and and the guys were probably like oh good well we'll 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 figure out this later mm-hmm. and i just at first i i was i was shocked they were going to do us this is a series yeah i really was i i thought for sure okay they're gonna they're gonna do a movie but they're maybe they'll sit for a couple of years maybe around phase six or something and and when they decided we're gonna do it, it's gonna be in canon with the cinematic Marvel universe, and that still blows my mind because we've got the, the movies, we've got the ABC series, uh, Shield and Agent Carter Shield, mm-hmm. and now we've got this Netflix uh, series, which is all yeah. still part of the shared universe, right? Which I adore. Mm-hmm. It's a multimedia, multi-platform sort of thing. Well, there's something brilliant in doing the net the show on Netflix because. While Disney does own ABC, its cable channels are Disney XD and ESPN. Like, that's not conducive to doing no. an HBO-level, uncensored type of show. So Netflix, whereas has a great market penetration in today's cutting-the-cable world, is just perfect for something like this. And as we can see, going from here, there's a whole line of series they want to come out with even later. Oh yeah, yeah. They just just completed Jessica Jones. They're revving up Luke Cage right now, and then, and then after that, you know, probably be probably won't be for at least another two years. But uh, we're gonna see Iron Fist, and right. I'm personally totally stoked for that. But the other thing too about uh, this Daredevil season one was that it really blew the roof off expectations. Yeah, they really they were lowballing it. They thought, okay, we're gonna do one season of this, then we'll one do season of the others. And then maybe we'll do a Defenders movie. We'll throw them all together, a Marvel Knights uh, type movie. And the the critical response, yeah. as well as the fans' response, has been overwhelmingly incredibly positive. Mm-hmm. And with good reason, because it's just been that damn good. Yeah. And Well, the fight choreography, the, the fight mood, choreography. the acting, there's just like again, everything they, from beginning to end. Is... They they went back and they, they, they actually studied, and they studied this. Man without fear, this trade. Mm-hmm. They they looked at Miller's run of Daredevil. They looked a little bit at um at the rest of them too. They his later run they, with uh, Born Again. Born Again. They they even looked at some of the Bendis stuff, which I'm not a fan of it. Um, I can see some of its echoes in mm-hmm. it. They really they made a good adaptation. They didn't just decide, yeah. oh, we're gonna take this and improve it. They really looked at the Daredevil mythology and they were like, how much of this can we keep? How much mm-hmm. of this can we translate over? And set the seeds and the small tethers to the rest of the extended Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Whether it's within the own future Netflix thing or the extended Marvel Universe when they were talking about, like, well, aliens dropping from the sky, referring to uh, the first Avengers movie. Right. And it just, it worked out. It worked out great. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I... Uh, who's the who's the actor that plays Kingpin? In this? Oh, it's Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. I... I was always a little like passive towards Anafio. Mm-hmm. He always struck me. I know he's a big time method actor. 
I mean, I even... knew after the fact because, like, I recognized the name. I watched the series, the the season, and then after the fact, I was like, "Oh, he was this guy, and he was this guy, right? He was he's, Full Metal Jacket, full Gomer Pyle, yeah, right. He was um, Men in Black, the 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 guy that was wearing the skin suit, the the yeah. alien mm-hmm. was wearing the skin suit. So it was him. He's very much, you know, a character actor, but like an amazing range of a character actor, like he's, very much comedic type stuff, but still actually he's, he's very, he's very dry actor. I've read interviews with him and you know, again, he was on, um, law and order, but I think because he can do this yeah. wide range of over the top stuff, like it kind of lends itself to comedy. So I was, I was a little, okay, let's see yeah. it. But again, he, he just, he, he nailed it mm-hmm. perfectly. As the kingpin is somebody who demands absolute order, preciseness, mm-hmm. and is generally apathetic. But once you just get him to a certain level, once you get him to his that's old, he can go nuts and he can just destroy you. Right. And in this case, it's the embar- embarrassing him in front of Vanessa. Mm-hmm. You know, his his future wife. Right. And, and the great thing, too, is that in this uh, Netflix series that I love is that, yes... They go into their version of the Kingpin's origin, mm-hmm. and they make him sympathetic. Yeah, but they don't make him excusable. Right, and I think that has been a huge mistake from day one. They've always think that oh, we gotta make the villains sympathetic. It's like no, then they're no longer villains anymore. Sure, yeah, um, and and that's so he has an abusive father. But like plenty of people have abusive fathers, it's yes. not an excuse to murder said father. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, you just you you feel for him, but when you see what he's done, and yeah, you just like you can't. Yeah, he's he's a bad man. Right, he is a bad man. But they mm-hmm. make they were able to make him an interesting character. Yeah, and, and this recurring theme that was tied to his origin, like you see, he's infatuated with a a painting that's at the art museum that his fiance, a future fiance Vanessa is working at, and eventually you come to discover that that's basically. His what he would stare at, whether it be for punishment yeah. or for meditation, when he was in that crappy, crappy apartment in that crappy mm-hmm. life growing up, and uh, and Scott Glenn is stick. Oh my god! It's like they literally just ripped that page yeah. out of out of this trade, handed it to the casting director, and said, "Find him." Right. And now reading this, I can't not hear Scott Glenn's voice in Stick. No. Like he just so. It's inescapable, like perfectly done. Um, when I when I saw Scott, Glenn, when I heard Scott Glenn was going to be stick as I was watching the show, I got really excited because I knew what he was, who he was, what he was capable yeah. of. And so he did not disappoint when I saw him. And then rereading this, I was like, oh, so oh, he is. could he's, not be more perfect. He's perfect. He's a, he's a great actor. He's the right age. He's the mm-hmm. right physical build. He's mm-hmm. the right voice. The right he temperament. Just Everything about yeah. him is just so bloody perfect in this, mm-hmm. and um, and that even though he's in that one episode, and yeah, then the same shot as we saw uh, again, pretty much lifted from this this uh, series. You know, mm-hmm. when he goes in front of Stone, because like, will he be ready? Because I have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that just that one particular shot. Right. Um, there there are moments in the Netflix series that uh, are, are heavily influenced and flat out, you know, it's like again they think they just ripped the page out of the book and said, all right, film this, mm-hmm. you know, but it works. Yeah, they they've they've taken it, they made it a part into it, uh, and they've taken 
the best inspiration from it. And mm-hmm. that's what makes this series great. And again, the nice thing about this too is that you can read this trade and you can watch this series and one will not spoil the other. Yeah. If you've already seen the, the if you've already seen the series, uh, then by all means still read this. This mm-hmm. might give you some really this will give you some insight into Electra. Yes. No doubt about it. It's and, a great introduction because I think chronologically this is the this is the early years of Daredevil. Whereas yes. if you read it it, when he re- originally introduces her, that's Daredevil mid-career. Yes. So I think this is a great introduction to the Daredevil character. And if you were introduced with the TV show, fine. It's totally compatible with this. Yeah, one doesn't lead to the other. And this, and if you like the series, read this. And mm. this will give probably give you a few, few interesting peppery uh, points uh, about uh, Season 2, since Electra's going to be brought in. And again, my biggest anxiety, because I, I love this so much, was that I just, I, I am afraid, I don't want Season 2 of Daredevil to be, you know, the Punisher and the Electra show mm-hmm. guest starring, you know, Daredevil, Daredevil right, yeah, right. which has happened in the cinematic mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, first Daredevil movie that flecked was just a protracted commercial for Electra. Um, yeah. Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer was just a protracted commercial for a Silver Surfer movie, mm-hmm. which did not happen. Yeah. Um, that one James Bond movie with Halle Berry is Jinx, which is a protracted commercial for her own spinoff, mm-hmm. which again did not happen. Yeah, you know, I always tell everyone it's okay to introduce these things, but they can't take over because again, we walk into this because the title of the show is called Daredevil, so mm-hmm. we want to see fifty-one percent Daredevil, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, do it through the lens of Matt Murdock. Exactly, exactly, and then and if if Electra's story is still going to be finite, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the guy from Walking Dead, he looks right for Frank. Yeah, um, I, I. I I have high hopes for him. Mm-hmm. Ideally, truly, I think the guy who plays Crossbones would have been better, but he's mm-hmm. already playing Crossbones. Sure. So, but he was brilliant in The Purge too. So with um with with next season, so we've got an introduction to Electra in this, which might be the template that they use. Um in Frank Miller's first run of Daredevil, it really is the first time Daredevil meets the Punisher. Yeah. So that very well could be the template for what you see in the season 2 of Daredevil. In the Frank Miller, um, and it was really only two issues that you have to read to, to see that first encounter. Pretty much. Um, but it was interesting because they, uh, they're they trying to take down this smack dealer who, you know, yeah. there, there's a child who winds up dying as a result of a PCP overdose mm-hmm. and injury sustained from a PCP enraged, you know, episode. And there's, it's an interesting story uh, so it's, and to, it does, to sum it up. And it does also maintain, too, the difference, again, like... Even beyond Batman, Bat- Batman is all about punishing. You know, it's like Daredevil wants to to stop these criminals, and he right. wants them incarcerated because that's the law. Mm-hmm. Even though he's using unlawful methods to to do it, you know, he still believes in it. Yeah. Um, Batman wants to see criminals punished. Mm-hmm. He will not kill them though, no. because killing is what the criminals did to his parents. parents right. So that's against his code. And right. I think also as a part of him too that wants them to live a life of misery in jail or whatever. And of course Frank is just they're the enemy they must die. They must die. He yes. will he will kill all he will criminals. Kill, yeah, he will kill all criminals yeah. until he is killed. There yeah. there's there's nothing else beyond that. But he also is, Frank has a code. Yes. If you're not a criminal, he will not kill you. And that yes. is what is explored in the second issue of this encounter, mm-hmm. where uh, Frank is trying to take down Daredevil. Daredevil's dodging all the bullets and realizes, oh, I've been told this guy's not one to miss. Yeah. So he, they, they level with each other. They form a truce. 
you know, they don't quite agree. They have different methodologies, but they understand that they're both on the same side mm-hmm. in trying to fight these criminals. Yeah. And, so uh, I think that's interesting. So we are looking forward to season two where uh, Frank Castle's Punisher is going to encounter Matt Murdock's Daredevil and they're going to be on opposite sides of their methodology but likely they will come to a truce. When you first see Punisher in the Daredevil series, he is in prison talking to another supervillain at the time. Yes. So that's going to be interesting, too. Yeah, and I, I, I'm very curious, too. I guess it's probably a foregone conclusion. We haven't heard anything about it yet. We have not heard, We have not heard that, that Bullseye has been cast, cast no. yet. But I think it would and be I'm a kinda, great... I'm kind of hoping that he hasn't. Okay. I'm kind of hoping that, you know, we got enough going on here. And again, if you really want to do a long-term plan, there's no reason not to let this have a nice, good, slow rolling boil. You know, we don't want to make the same mistake that the Ben Affleck movie did. Yeah. Or even shoehorn all these characters into one. Because to be honest, uh, maybe a little off time, but like season two of Flash, Mm -hmm. all I keep hearing is more and more people cast as other characters. And like. Every episode, if it's not a guest villain, then it's a guest hero. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like they are pushing too hard, possibly too fast. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that uh, in this show, again, because it's so grounded, they do such a great job of it being right. so grounded. Right. And they got other things going on, too. They got uh, what Karen Page did to the guy that worked for the Kingpin. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they've got, you've got Foggy, and if he's still going to be messing around with the, uh, the the buxom blonde chick who worked at the power, uh, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> which that I firm. loved. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that guy playing Foggy. I thought mm-hmm. he was great. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't care for that they changed his origin because mm. in the comics, Foggy actually came from a very affluent, very prestigious family. Okay. And I don't remember um, them establishing where he came from. He came up from Hell's Kitchen the same as Matt. Oh, okay. In, gotcha. in this, they're saying that they're both from that, that area okay. and they're both kind of impoverished and whatever. So where... he's got the same motivation that Matt has in that he a little bit. has his heart in this neighborhood as yeah. well whereas uh foggy before was anything even more miraculous because yeah he he could have just gotten a job at his father's like mega corporation or whatever mm-hmm. but he just decided to be the white sheep or the black sheep of the family depending on how right. you want to call it as and right. once in a blue moon his dad would kind of pop in or whatever why don't you come work for me mm-hmm. oh dad i'm doing good work here oh. right and uh, but yeah, but that I love that actor. I um, I think he's got great energy. The cast of the show is is is, is great. I was yeah. when I first saw them in Stills, I was a little like, oh, I don't know. But um, everybody in this show, I, I think, is is really batting a hundred. Even even Night Nurse. Yeah, <laughs> Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. who you know. I have not liked before, but I did enjoy. I haven't her been as. a huge fan of hers either, but uh, you know, she's very underplayed in this and and serves the show well. Um, my prediction, though, for season two, as far as the, the bullseye introduction, I think it's going to be like like two seconds before the season ends. I think it's going to be Frank Castle. He's in prison. He confronts a character and that character is going to be bullseye. Roll credits. Tune in for season three. Somebody. There's a there is a there's a fan theory going around that bullseye has already been introduced, that he oh. was the SWAT team guy who picked off people at that standoff okay. and try to blame it on daredevil. Cause you never saw the guy's face or anything. Uh-huh. He would just, he climbed up to the roof, pulled out a sniper rifle, began picking off people. Right. Interesting. So maybe he's already been cast. Maybe, or that well, you, you yeah. didn't see the guy. 
So never... if you didn't see the guy, it doesn't matter who he is. Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. Okay. It could have been anybody. So they could recast him easily. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, they could tie him to that. But that's, again, that's a fan theory, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they look back into... This is, this, is, this is the same type of mentality that tries to tell us that Stan Lee is the Watcher. <laughs> Which I was just like, really, guys? Thanks for that. Really? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm psyched for season. I'm psyched to see how the Kingpin kind of gets out of his situation. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing the way the characters evolve. Uh, I mean, I'm interested in seeing the snippet of Electra. I'm interested in seeing the snippet of a two-parter with like Frank. Mm-hmm. And maybe he goes off to prison and then right. maybe his own series picks up with him busting out of prison. That'd be great. Like with the John Wagner, uh, Mike Zek series in the, in the 80s, which started out awesome and just ended up absolute dog crap but uh you know that's 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 another trade for another time (laughs) all right so i think that's gonna wrap up our review on daredevil the man without fear as well as our bonus material about the netflix season one daredevil thanks once again mr patrick hawkins thank you sir for having me and uh please listen next time (laughs) 